everyone is available to take your call. Please leave a message after the tone. Hey babe, it's me. I'm calling from school. Practice ran a little late and I'm having some trouble with my car, but I shouldn't be too long, I promise. Pick a movie, preferably a departure from your usual picks, and I'll be there soon. Bye. A young, dark-haired man, stocky, in his late teens, wearing a blue and yellow football jacket, stands under the light of a campus phone booth in the empty parking lot of Woodsboro High School. He hangs up and walks to the edge of the curb, looking down the long stretch of road in front of the school, spotting a news van in the distance, when the phone rings. He turns back and answers the call. Hello? Babe? Hello. This is a collect call from... Danny. If you accept the charges, please press 1. You gotta be kidding me. Insert coins. The young man digs into his jeans pocket, balancing the phone receiver on his shoulder, retrieving only a single quarter. Give me that shit. Where the fuck are you? You were supposed to pick me up from school 30 minutes ago. Yeah, uh, about that. I, I was on my way, I swear. I stopped off at the video store like you asked. And when I got back to the car, it wouldn't start. It looks like someone's messed with the fuse. <laughs> are you kidding me? Hey, I I'm stuck now too. And I have to study. It was my turn to take the car, so you're lucky I even bothered. <sighs> what am I gonna do now? Teammates drive you home? Yeah, they could have. 30 minutes ago. Oh, well, you figure it out. This wouldn't have happened if you weren't too busy trying to impress your girlfriend. Fuck. Listen, I'm running out of minutes. I need you to call you me at- have no more minutes remaining. Danny? Danny! Your call has now ended. Fuck! To make a phone call, please insert coins. Damn it! He aggressively hangs up again. A nearby car engine roars. There's one car still parked in the parking lot, a red beetle, 50 yards away, facing him. The young man calls out. Hey, buddy, would you mind giving me a ride? The car headlights flick on, blinding him. He strains to get a glimpse of the driver, but his sight is too impaired to make out who is behind the wheel. Just then, the car revs and pulls out of the parking lot, driving off. Cool, thanks. Asshole. He eyes the empty grounds of the school as silence fills the entire campus. The payphone rings. Oh, thank God. Danny? Hello? Who is this? Damn it. Sorry. Did you mean to call a payphone? A payphone? Where? Woodsboro High. Woodsboro High? You go there? Why? You trying to reach somebody there? Yeah. Well, unless it's one of the drama club rejects, you're not gonna have much luck. Then why are you there? Car trouble? That's too bad. Yeah, tell me about it. Hey, listen, uh, I know this is weird, but I'm kind of stranded here. Could you call me a cab? I'm out of quarters, and it would really help me out. Sure. Where are you going? Can't you just tell them where I am? Woodsboro High? Yeah. 
Okay, well, uh... Thanks. You're welcome. The young man hangs up. The payphone almost immediately rings back. Hello? Hello? It's on its way. Thanks. That was, uh, quick. Must be a quiet night. Yeah, I guess. Well, um, I gotta go. I thought you were stranded. I don't want to miss a call. Where are you in such a rush to get to? Movie night? Oh yeah? What movie? Don't know. Uh, a scary one. No doubt. You like scary movies? I don't get much of a choice. Your date has good taste. I could give her a call. Let her know you're running late. Who said I had a date? What are movie nights for? Right. I'll just wait for the cab. How long is the wait? Didn't say. You could try hitching a ride. This is in the West Texas desert. You should be safe. Not much luck there either. Besides, this is Woodsboro. Cop cars and news vans aren't exactly charitable. What is with the news vans all over town? Nobody died, did they? It's been a year since that woman was murdered. Top story can't seem to let it go, I guess. Of course, the promiscuous housewife. Her name was Maureen Prescott? Oh, I'm sorry. How insensitive of me. I thought they caught the killer. Some people think he's innocent. Do you? Oh, I don't know. So sad. Her daughter finding her body like that. Every psycho needs an audience. Scary, isn't it? Makes you think it could happen again. I wouldn't worry. I don't think either of us meet his criteria. I thought teenage football players were quite popular targets. At least in the movies. How do you know I play football? Your jacket. The young man looks around, notably unnerved. He awkwardly eyes the graffiti of phone numbers and pornographic doodles etched into the inside of the phone booth. Look, if this is how you get off, I got a few hotline numbers here you can try. Bother someone else! Why would I do that when I've already got you spooked? Why would I be scared of some loser who watches people in campus phone booths? I never said I was watching you. So where are you? The question isn't, where am I? The question is... What do I know? What could you know about me? A great deal more than you know about me. I'm afraid that comes with the territory of being the high school jock. Who are you? No one you'd pay much attention to. Oh, so that's what it's about. Bring it up with your guidance counselor. I've got somewhere to be. So I've heard. Your girlfriend must be getting worried about you. What makes you so sure I have one? Doesn't every ambiguously homo football jock... What did you call me? So you do have a girlfriend. What's it to you, asshole? Her name wouldn't be Casey, would it? How do you know her name? I told you I was watching somebody. How about that? It looks like she's getting ready to watch a scary movie. Why are you doing this? Because I know something Casey doesn't. Oh yeah? Dumb blondes are just a red herring. Promiscuous housewives are more your thing. Am I right? What? 
Don't the news fans around town help jog your memory? Almost a year and it's still one of Top Story's favorites. But they're missing a key plot twist, aren't they? I don't know what you're talking about. No? Do you think Casey will? I heard she sits next to her daughter in English. Don't you fucking dare! Forget about Casey. Are the police aware that you screwed the victim? <laughs> you son of a- I knew it would all come flashing back. What do you want? I want to play a game. A game? What kind of game? This game is different than the one you're used to, Hotshot. See, if you score low in this game, there are bigger consequences than your popularity. How about I just kick the shit out of you instead? Doesn't look like you're going anywhere. I don't need quarters to call the cops. Do you really want to draw attention to yourself? I'll take my chances. And I'll spill your girlfriend's guts before they get here. Is that a chance worth taking? How do I even know you're at her house? Scary movies are kind of a universal pastime. Then let's get her attention, shall we? Hello? Mom and Dad? A horror fan, all alone in a big house out in the middle of nowhere. Should know better than to answer the door. I might have to teach her a lesson. No! Please. Don't hurt her. That all depends on you. What do you want me to do? I've already chosen my final girl, but I'm having trouble finding my opening kill. The opening is just as important, if not more so. Wouldn't you agree? It's a hard pick between the dump blonde and the football jock. So here's how we narrow it down. I ask a question. If you get it right, Casey lives. I wonder if you like scary movies as much as she does. First question. Name Michael Myers' first victim. His sister. We're looking for a name. Judith Myers. Jason Voorhees. Same question. Alice Hardy. Mm. Casey taught you well. Next question. What movie has Casey carefully selected for you tonight? Is it a departure from her usual picks? Answer correctly. Maybe you'll get a chance to watch it. Stay away from her. Answer the question right, and I will. A look of sudden realization washes over the young man. No, you won't. Every psycho needs an audience, right? Smart boy. Maybe I should have kept you around for the finale. Look, it's me you're pissed at. Just cut the bullshit and leave Casey alone. You think this is about you, Steve. Your extracurricular activity was just a bonus. There was never any question who'd be victim number one. Come on, you're watching of scary movies. Judith, Alice, Casey's the quintessential slasher girl. And that makes you disposable. Oh yeah? And what are you gonna do about it, huh? You said it yourself. You're out in the middle of nowhere. I said I wasn't watching you. I never said you weren't being watched. The phone goes dead. What the? Suddenly, the red beam of taillights sets Steve and the phone booth alight. Steve turns and tries to barricade the light from his face with his arm when the car, once hidden behind towering tree branches, roars to life, revving its engine, taunting him. Who's there? Steve lets go of the phone receiver, letting it swing, and eases away from the phone booth. 
Suddenly, the car guns backwards, in reverse, moving like a torpedo towards him. Oh, fuck! Steve dives to the ground, ah! rolling off the curb as the car slams its brakes inches away from where he lies. Steve looks up at the driver's window. He tries to make out who's behind the wheel, but it's too dark. All he can see is a shape. The car revs, and Steve tries to stand, bleeding from both shins. He limps forcefully over to the dark of the wooded campus and ducks down behind the high school welcome sign. Two black boots step out of the driver's door. Steve examines his wounds as the black boots approach and eyes the parked news van further down the road, now with its headlights on, then turns to the door to the school auditorium, left slightly ajar, both similar distances away. He looks at either route, weighing his options. The footsteps get closer. He looks around the side of the sign to see a ghost-masked figure waiting for him. Steve limps towards the auditorium door. A poster lets us know that the rehearsals for Peter Pan are underway. He makes it inside, slamming the doors closed just before Ghostface reaches it. Inside, the house lights are off, but there is just enough street light through the windows to make out that the school auditorium has a stage that's being dressed for a play. Steve limps forward through the audience seating toward the stage. Hello? Drama club people? Are you still here? He spots a landline telephone at the edge of the stage and goes for it, holding the receiver up to his ear before realizing the cord isn't attached to anything. No dial tone, he quickly realizes it's a prop and chucks the phone at the floor. Fuck! Anybody here? Hello? Steve limps over to the clearly marked exit at the side of the stage, entering a dark and deserted school corridor. A janitor's mop and bucket have been left abandoned in the middle of the corridor. The floor is still wet. Fred? You still here? Suddenly, out of the eerie silence, Stevie. Steve spins around, peering down the other end of the corridor. Stevie. Is anybody here? Stevie. Someone is here. But in a long corridor of what seems like a thousand classrooms and infinite lockers, it's impossible to know where. Stevie. Steve eyes each closed door with unease as he passes them, limping as quietly as he can. Stevie. He looks up at a Tannoy speaker and questions whether that is where the voice is coming from. He comes to a glass cabinet display full of trophies and school pride. A figure moves behind his reflection. He spins. There's no one there but the door to the principal's office. A phone inside the office begins to ring. With slight hesitation, Steve opens the door and enters the outer office area, limping past secretary stations and pigeonholes as he follows the ringing into Mr. Himbry's office. The door left slightly ajar. He eases open the door, eyeing the ringing phone as he enters. The door stops before it hits the wall, like there's something behind it. He looks through the glass panel on the door, 
through the stenciled letters that spell Mr. Himbury's name, his eyes glued to a blurred shape, unmoving. He nervously reaches for the doorknob, pulling open the door to reveal nothing but a doorstop. Steve gathers himself and goes for the phone on Mr. Himbury's desk, reaching for the receiver. Hello? As he eyes a tannoy mic on the desk next to the phone, the storage closet doors behind him burst open and two gloved hands lunge at him, slamming his head on the surface of the desk. Steve elbows Ghostface in the gut and grabs the tannoy mic, swinging it around, using its large metal base to bash Ghostface on the side of his skull. Steve rises, bleeding from a gash on his forehead, and bolts for the door, stumbling into the outer office. With Ghostface close behind, Steve makes it out into the long corridor, making a break for the double doors of the auditorium. Ghostface is almost on him, reaching out, when Steve dives out of the way, leaving a clear opening for Ghostface to slip on the wet floor. As Ghostface goes down, tumbling into the mop and bucket, Steve slams open the auditorium doors with his shoulder. Ghostface rises, still masked, yet notably pissed. The double doors swing open, almost tearing from their hinges, as Ghostface barges through, eyeing the empty auditorium, hunting knife in hand. Steve is here, but nowhere in sight. He lies under the auditorium seats as he watches black boots creep up the aisle towards him. Ghostface goes to the wall and turns on the house lights. As he watches Ghostface lower to the ground to peer under the seats, he rolls out from under them and dives for Ghostface, barreling into him. They tumble, rolling intertwined down the aisle towards the stage, crashing into the steps. Steve lands on top of Ghostface and instinctively grabs his wrist, bringing his gloved hand down hard on the edge of the steps, forcing him to lose his grip on the knife, dropping it. As Steve reaches down to grab the knife, Ghostface kicks up with his boot, knocking Steve off of him. Ghostface snatches the fake phone hanging over the side of the stage and continues to bash Steve repeatedly on the head, his blood staining the white of the Ghostface mask until Steve stops struggling. Ghostface towers above his barely conscious body, his bloody white mask reflecting in Steve's eyes. And with one final blow to the head, Steve is out. The click of a light switch illuminates a backyard patio and swimming pool, the midnight mist skimming the surface of the water. Steve sits tight and gagged in a lawn chair, bloody and beaten, his eyes wide in fear, staring through glass patio doors at his girlfriend Casey, a familiar bobbed hair blonde, a portable landline phone, 
held to her ear. Casey's hand moves to the lock on the door. Casey touches the glass, staring at her boyfriend, Steve. Her hand goes to the light switch as Steve tugs and pulls at his straps. With a click of a light switch, Steve disappears into the darkness. Steve tries to turn, hearing someone move behind his chair, but his binds prevent him. Suddenly, the unseen presence behind the chair reveals himself and kneels down in front of Steve. The mask, now wiped clean of Steve's blood, is without a doubt concealing a widening smile. The feel of cold steel tears through Steve's belly. He looks down to see his stomach open, his guts spilling out in front of him. Ghostface finishes Steve off with another deeper cut before disappearing around the side of the house as the porch lights flip on and Casey returns to the window, watching her boyfriend as his eyes begin to close, his head falling back, the horror scene surrounding him fading out.